The Chet Kavik Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Cars, a podcast where a Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kavik and Lester Munson. Well, as bemused as he may be by the fact that uh, Lovey Smith will continue as head coach of the Chicago Bears, our good friend, uh, the pride and joy of ESPN, legal expert Lester Munson takes time out with yours truly, Chet Kavik, to debate those issues going on right now in uh, the world of sports and law. Lester, right off the top, uh, uh, Gilbert Arenas, Washington Wizards, uh, no surprise, David Stern is a tough guy, Arenas suspended indefinitely for uh, uh, pulling out a handgun in the Washington Wizards locker room. If you were Arenas' agent, if you were his attorney, do you in any way try to combat David Stern right now, recognizing that Stern, when it comes to commissioners, is without question the baddest cat in the valley? There's no doubt about that, Chet. And no, I would not be picking a fight with Stern right now. A time will come later on when maybe... Arenas and his lawyers and the union get together and they file a grievance over the suspension. But right now it's an indefinite suspension, and Arenas has another big problem, almost as big a problem, with the D.C. Police Department. They are looking at him hard, and the D.C. gun laws are almost as draconian and as absolute as the gun laws in New York that put Plaxico Burris in jail. So Arenas has to work things out somehow with the police and with the federal prosecutors in D.C., then maybe he wants to pick a fight with David Stern, but I'm not even sure he wants to do it then. Is uh, Arenas in his own way almost as dumb? Taking handguns into a locker room, displaying a handgun, is he almost as stupid in his own way as Plexico Burris? Uh, He is. Uh, Burris was... Obviously, Burris's gun was loaded. He was trying to somehow menace people or show his importance. Arenas, in contrast, was supposedly, and we, we have to decide whether we believe him on this, he was trying to hide the guns, four of them, from his children, young children at home. But why bring them to the locker room? There are safety deposit boxes, grandma's basement. There's a hundred places to hide guns. Why he brought them to the locker room, that is the incredibly dumb thing when everybody knows the NBA rule is no guns in the workplace. So he knows the rule. We all know the rule, and this is what he does. Is it dumb? Absolutely. You know, maybe this shouldn't bother me, uh, but it does, Lester. (laughs) Quoting Gilbert Arenas. I am very sorry for the effect that my serious lapse in judgment has had on my team, my teammates, the NBA, and its fans. I want to apologize to everybody for letting them down with my conduct, and I promise to do better in the future. Are we actually (laughs) supposed to believe in our wildest dreams? I mean, if we're all drinking the wrong Kool-Aid... Are we supposed to believe that Gilbert Arenas actually wrote that? <laughs> they expect us. They, they don't think too much of us. They expect us to believe that. They think we're dumb. And the real Gilbert Arenas was the one who was making smart aleck remarks on his Twitter immediately after this, saying, "Oh, hi, folks. Now I'm John Wayne." Uh, it's got no, uh, it, that, that is the Gilbert Arenas. I think everybody who has watched him knows he's a great star. He's a great player, and he's a total flake. And that statement that you read, obviously he paid somebody a lot of money to write that statement. I don't think he got his money's worth either. If Roger Goodell and David Stern were sitting here right now, and to a lesser degree, Gary Bettman and Bud Selig, 
would you say it's time for commissioners of all sports to convene and gather and try and determine with some type of committee or some type of group of uh, uh, medical people or people who deal with the psychology of the way we conduct ourselves to figure out what the fascination is with athletes' desire to display firearms? Yeah, that would be a very interesting question, and I'm sure there's somebody out there who could figure that out. And, yes, I, I would think if I were advising any one of those commissioners, I would say you got a serious problem here. This can be the single most embarrassing thing that you would ever face, worse than performance-enhancing drugs, probably very close to point-shaving in terms of it's how scandalous it is, and why is it these guys have to have a gun? Having a handgun is probably one of the top five stupidest things you could ever do, and yet these guys who can do anything they want, who have money, who should have some level of judgment, this is what they do. There, there's a serious problem here. Would, uh, would you be baffled if I told you that right now, if I was an advertiser, and I had my choice between involving myself with Tiger Woods or the Washington Wizards, given what's going down with Arenas, I would rather be on board with Tiger Woods. Now that that is a that is a wonderful choice that you have there yeah. between the wizards. Who would and you Tiger rather Woods. have, Al Capone or Tony Accardo? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I I can see that advertisers would run away from arenas faster than they would run away from Tiger Woods. But Tiger Woods is in a category unto himself. He's at a certain level, so Nike and some of these others have to stay with him. But the the wizards right now and arenas in particular, are a very bad bet for anybody in sports marketing. We remember that uh, Jason Williams, uh, entertaining a bunch of Harlem Globetrotters, had the shooting in his home uh, with Gus Christolfi, the chauffeur. You were on that case like a blanket. What's your most vivid memory, and what, what did you learn again about, about athletes and handguns just by covering that one case? That, that case was really probably one of the more shocking cases that I've worked on, and the incredible thing to me was that given all the drinking that had gone on, particularly Williams, given the party atmosphere, why anybody would go to a locked gun case and take out loaded weapons and demonstrate them end up killing a limousine driver. I, I have never begun to understand that. And then to actually think for a matter of two hours that he could cover it up getting rid of his clothes, washing everything down, actually thinking, despite the fact there are 12 people there, that somehow he's going to be able to cover this up. They have a dead body on the floor, shot in the chest. And he, Williams, brilliant genius that he is, thought, oh, I can take care of this right now by uh, adjusting the evidence. Lester, as you and I know, uh, the former Harlem Globetrotter, Curly Boo Johnson, Curly Boo Johnson, saw the shooting take place. Right. I remember him calling me that night. Just in shock, I mean, just dazed, asking me, what should I do? And my advice was, for openers, for heaven's sakes, get an attorney and keep your mouth shut. Yeah, that's very good advice. I know that he was in a state of shell shock over that for a long time thereafter. I think a lot of the people who were there, this started innocently enough. Jason Williams brings a couple people to the uh, Harlem Globetrotter game. They have a couple of drinks. They go to his mansion. I can see why that would be an interesting thing to do. Mm -hmm. And then this happens. And uh, oddly enough, the, the, the only really 
culpable person, the only one with any responsibility here, the whole thing has been Jason Williams. Everybody else was shocked. They were mostly sober. That They were not involved in this. This was just him making one mistake after another. Using the common uh, broadcast phraseology for termination, just cause. <laughs> Would the Washington Wizards right now, in your legal opinion, have the right to cancel the contract of Gilbert Arenas? All right, that's a very tough question. It's a very good question. We all know that there is a morals clause in the form contract that Arena signed. Any other franchise in the NBA, I would say they would not try to cancel the contract. But the Poland family, given their history, changing the name of the team from Bullets to Wizards, Mm -hmm. given their commitment to the social welfare of their constituents in D.C., given their commitment against violence, against criminal activity, they might just try to do this with Arenas. The problem, of course, is they've lost their patriarch. Abe Poland is gone. Will the family have the solidarity and the fortitude now to pull the trigger on something like that? It would be a real battle, but it would be interesting if somebody would do that. Do you remember years ago the collective bargaining meetings involving the players and the NBA owners, when Michael Jordan had the audacity to stand up and tell Abe Poland, if you can't afford it, why don't you sell your franchise? Yeah. I mean, Poland had every right to right. deck MJ as far as I'm concerned. Right, right, yeah. What, what Michael Jordan was doing involved in the bargaining is anybody's guess. <laughs> but the, the NBA Players Union, the, the players are well paid. They have enormous benefits. There's no doubt about it. But I don't really think it's because of the union. I think it's just because under Stern, this has been a very successful enterprise, and they are partners with a commissioner who knows what he's doing. You know, again, Lester, the problem with this is it, it once again, it goes back to a, a stereotype that doesn't exist uh, quite as big or quite as overwhelming as it did, for example, 15 years ago. But this goes back to the stereotype that NBA basketball players are thugs. Oh, boy. And and the last thing Stern wants, after all of his efforts, after all of his success, to make the NBA a largely African-American league a part of mainstream America, then to have the thuggery come in and intervene, it, it's got to be very tough for Stern. He has to guard the product that he has created. That's why we have an indefinite suspension of Gilbert Arenas. And we have people at ESPN, NBA people, who know what they're doing. They think he could be gone for the season. So we're talking about a serious problem here and drastic action by Commissioner Stern. Lester, on Monday to uh, change gears uh, up at Hallis Hall, there was another uh, great presentation (laughs) of uh, uh, the McCaskey Family Follies, starring uh, uh, Teddy Phillips, Jerry Angelo, and uh, uh, Lovey Smith as the beaver. (laughs) And and you you left with this feeling of... uh, uh, Ron Turner's gone, the offensive coordinator, a bunch of offensive underlings, yet your three primary characters, Phillips, Angelo, and Smith, are going to remain. My, my question for you is this. Are you privy to knowledge as to what will happen with that franchise comes the time that Virginia McCaskey passes away? Well, there's going to be uh, all of those siblings are each going to have their 7% of the team. Patrick Ryan... Uh, Chicago mogul, Aon Insurance Company. He has his, whatever it is, 14 or 18 percent of mm-hmm. the team. And there's going to be a battle royal. And you can easily see how, once they get to impasse, once the confrontation begins to boil over, that the team may well be for sale. Obviously, 
It's one of the great franchises in all of sports. It has a fantastic stadium deal. They have one of the most advantageous stadium deals in the entire National Football League. It could easily be a $900 million or a billion-dollar deal, and I don't see how this family keeps it after Virginia dies and they start to fight. So, Lester, from that perspective, uh, and this goes back 30 years, I remember talking to youthful McCaskies a generation and a half ago who desperately wanted to sell the ball club. Mm. They wanted their chunk while they, you know, could still spend it for heaven's sakes. All right. Um, my gut tells me that I would not be surprised, given how old Virginia is at this point, if sometime during the next 12 months this ball club were not sold full and complete to Pat Ryan. If Pat Ryan wants to do it, and he might, uh, I can see how that would happen. The, the siblings would have to agree that we would like to live on our wealth. We want to get out of football. I don't, from what I know of the family, and you would know perhaps better than I, I don't see any one of them loves going into Hallis Hall each day and working on no. the football team. No. Uh, they're not interested in the business. They would be very happy for the money. And uh, if you're Pat Ryan or you're somebody else who can put together a deal, you probably ought to be talking to him. But I mean, the, uh, you know, less to the climate, the the landscape here in Chicago, without the McCaskies to kick around, <laughs> it, it just wouldn't be as much fun. <laughs> we would find somebody. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, but I mean, stop and think about that. Right. For example, I'm I'm, right. I'm watching the conference on Monday, and here's Ted Phillips, the Notre Damer, who really, you know, based on having gotten the stadium renovation done, the Bears should have given him early retirement about four years ago and told him, go live in Naples, Florida, here's a million bucks a year, and just relax and play golf. Michael McCaskey is sitting up in the uh, up on the bleachers, up on the second level. He's watching this press conference, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, he's got to be reflecting on the time when he was president of the Chicago Bears. He was the front man. He is the guy who went skiing out in Aspen and, make Mike, and made Mike Ditka, uh, you know, Hang on the yeah. uh, on the clothesline yeah. until he fired him. Right. And now yesterday, he's just an innocent bystander. It, it is amazing. It's out of Alice in Wonderland what's happened there. And Ted Phillips, he's supposed to be the big leader. I, I think you summarized his contribution. He re, he remodeled the ballpark. That's it. He's done. He's kind of an accident. The only reason he's there is Michael McCaskey couldn't even return phone calls from the mayor of Chicago. And so we bring in Ted Phillips. Uh, I think he has served his purpose. I I happen to be a fan of Lovey Smith. I know that he made some mistakes during the year. He's a good guy. He's the kind of guy you like to have in your organization. Can he bring the team back? I'm not so sure anymore. But he he's he is such a likable guy, it's hard to really jump on him. Yeah, but Lester, I mean, it would have been a lot more fun yesterday if Michael McCaskey... Would have said, oh. you know what? Listen, I'll take the podium. And all he had to do was tell the the assembled uh, Penn and Mike Club, tell the throng, hey, listen, I know we suck. I know the ball club was lousy last year. I know we don't have a first or second round draft pick. I know Gaines Adams, our defensive end, is in witness protection, <laughs> and eventually will turn up on uh, America's Most Wanted. But if you think if you think my mother and my my brothers and sisters. We're going to eat 11 million bucks in live money with Lovey Smith. You all better see a psychiatrist. Yeah, that would have explained it. That would have been the total explanation. <laughs> it's all you and had to say. And the press conference would have been over. <laughs> <laughs> and it is $11 million. 
Yeah, I don't care what anybody says. Well, it's and, big and money. You know what? With, with the McCaskies, I, I give them a mulligan. I'm not a big Lovey Smith guy, but unlike Kraft, unlike Snyder, unlike most of your NFL club owners, they don't have a secondary business. They no. they are not like William Clay Ford. They cannot have the bean counters play games to uh, to take a sum like 11 million bucks and somehow you know ease the bleeding. For the McCaskies to eat 11 million bucks on a coach and then go out and hire a guy who's going to want seven or eight million dollars. Right. I don't blame them for saying no. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, I, I kind of like Lovey Smith. They're probably overpaying him. However, they gotta pay him. It's gonna cost them this much money. Why would you want to pay two coaches? The, the, they, the point you make about them having no backup business, no base, financial base other than the team, that's the critical point here. That's what, that's what, that's what drives the decision making. All right, uh, Lovey Smith fan, here we go. Answer this question. <laughs> Given the fact that Lovey is no longer going to call defensive signals, which means Lovey failed as defensive coordinator yeah. in 2009, and he's going to have some new guy who, of course, has to pledge allegiance to the cover, too, because that's Lovey's scheme. And Lovey will tell you right. that uh, every team since the uh, the Boston Steamrollers has uh, sworn allegiance to the cover, too. What, what does Lovey do in 2010 besides give a pep talk on Sunday, throw an occasional red flag, and do his radio show on Monday night. I think you've just about covered it. And the red flag, I think they will probably take away from him the way it's been going. So that will leave him with even less to do. He'll be making an awful lot of money for doing an off, for doing very little. So what is Lester Munson working on right now? What's, what's going to be intriguing in your legal world? I'm, over the next two, three months. I'm looking hard at the United States Supreme Court case involving the National Football League. It could be the biggest case in the history of the sports industry. The arguments before the Supreme Court are next Wednesday, the 13th. That's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. Um, I'm also trying to figure out why Mark Ingram's father is in jail. When we talk about the top ten dumb people in the world, I think I found another one here. <laughs> <laughs> he did some things that are so extraordinarily stupid that uh, it, it almost takes your breath away. Not only did he do them, after he got caught, he then tried to escape again. So he... If Mark Ingram has a 12-year NFL career, his father will miss it. He's going to be in medium security the entire time. And Lester, you know what that reminds me of? The Detroit Pistons once had a seven-foot center named Reggie Harding. Oh, not exactly, not exactly the brightest star in the sky. No. So one night, Reggie puts on a mask and walks into a local grocery store about two blocks from his home and wants to rob the place. How does the owner respond? Does he put his hands up? Does he reach for a handgun? Does he flee in terror? No, he says, Reggie, what are you doing? <laughs> Here he is, seven feet two inches tall, the only one in the neighborhood, and he's undercover. He is Lester Munson. I'm Chet Coppock. We hope you enjoyed it as always. It is Sports Court. We will rejoin you in seven big days. Take care, everybody. <laughs>